Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. We're getting this one out a little bit late because I spent some time with the wife last night as she begged me, please, please, Hercules, don't go out and to the garage and edit a podcast for your super fans. Spend some time with me. So unfortunately, guys, she's way prettier than all you guys put together. So I had to go spend time with the wife, but I'm still getting it out to you on Friday. Lots going on in the month of January coming up. I know this Sunday is the DKK cruise. And that's going to be happening at Duke's Cafe in Placentia, California. Looks like it's going to be kicking off somewhere around 10 o'clock, going from 10 to 2. And uh, the description here says, the 2022 cruise into the new year will be on Sunday from 10 to 2 at Duke's Cafe. Cruise by and start the new year off right with the Deeks. There'll be food, club choice, trophies, dash plaques, and a whole lot of bitching cars. So make sure you guys get out there. I'm going to be out there this weekend, so I'm loading up Rag Chop, and we're going to bomb down there, me and my son, and hang out just for the day and then head back to Vegas. So that's where you'll see me. And then coming up the following week or week after next is going to be Buses by the Bridge. I think I'm just going to bomb down for the day with a couple fellows out of southern Utah, cruise out there, check it out, and then get back because I got to get ready for the big daddy of them all, the Grand National Roadster Show, where this year there'll be a gathering of hot VWs. That's going to take place in Building 9, the infamous Building 9, where they put special marquee vehicles on display every year. And this year is the year of the Volkswagen. So come out. I'll have Future Shock out there. I'll also have Rag Chop out there. There'll be over 100 significant Volkswagens that are going to be there for your viewing pleasure. A lot of cars that have been hiding for a long time. It's going to be a walk down memory lane. If you've been in the VWs from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and into today, they're going to be out there. All the super rare, super collectible, just the best of the best and some of your favorite cars from the magazine. So make sure you guys make it out to the Grand National Roadster Show. Also go to their website and check out how you and your club can get into park in the daily parking outside, which is technically inside. So you'll be in the car show area that's outside and you and your club can come in. It's a first come first serve. So if I'm you guys, Get your club, get registered, and get parked at the Grand National Road Show. And that's coming up on the weekend of January 28th through the 30th. So I'm looking forward to being there. Let's Talk does be there with Type 1 Restorations. Uh, we'll be kind of hanging out together, and there's a bunch of people that are going to be there. So whoever's anybody in the VW world is going to be there, so make it a point to get there that weekend. This podcast is brought to you by VW Trans Magazine for the people, by the people. Get your subscription now. The third issue just came out, and there's extreme coverage on my event that we had last year, which was the Let's Talk Dubs One Crazy Weekend. The Vegas show was in there. There was all kinds of cool features. This issue, there's even a caddy in there. There's water pumper stuff. There's tech articles. There's Rad Center, Centerfold from Petros. I mean, this thing is legit, so you guys need to make sure that you get your latest issue of VW Trans. And how do you do that? Go to vwtransmagazine.com, vwtransmagazine.com, and subscribe. Another one of our sponsors is Ross Wolf. That's right. Do you own a bus? Does it have a chewed-up dashboard where somebody hacked out the square hole or the little rectangle and notched it all out with a hammer? Well, Ross Wolf's got a solution for that. They've got their oversized Type 2 radio delete plates that go in place of your hacked up dash, look pretty slick, save you a lot of money, and it looks nice and clean once you use it to cover your dash hole. So nobody likes nobody likes to be a dash hole. Don't be a dash hole, bro. Get your life together. Go to rosswolf.com and get you some, some swass gear for your Volkswagen. Uh, one of the other things that they make that I like, their Viton engine seals as well as their velocity stacks and 
their shift couplers, billet shift couplers. I mean, these guys make a ton of cool parts. So go to the website at rosswolf.com, rosswolf.com, rosswolf for quality, speed, and style. Go check out their website. You guys heard on the last podcast, I was working uh, with George, and they was he was doing a bunch of work on the Mach 11, and we switched out some raised plates on the rear, and I picked up some uh, Atomworks raised plates and they were suggested to me by George because he's worked with the products over there and they've been really well engineered and they seem to do good. So uh, I did those. I happened to give him a call on New Year's weekend. He answered the phone, Charles over there, and walked me through some technical stuff that I had going on. So I was pretty thankful for that. Uh, we ended up um, just chatting for a little bit. And I said, man, let's do a podcast. So I grabbed him on the phone and we chatted it out for a little bit and it's a pretty interesting podcast a lot of information about rear suspension lowering some ideas yes for front suspension and also a lot of stuff that we talk about in between so it's his vw story it's a great story like they all are charles adams from adam works this week on let's talk dubs today's show uh, as we constantly go through trying to find more people that are in the VW scene there's definitely no shortage and there's lots of people doing suspension stuff and just recently you guys might have heard on the podcast that we were working on the Mach 11 and with that it had some rear adjustable spring plates that were maxed out about as high as they were and my brother George told me to go get some Atomworks spring plates and so I reached out to Atomworks got some spring plates put them on the bug huge difference and on today's show I've got Charles Adams with Atomworks with actually Engineer or Kinetech, the the main company for Atomwork. Uh, Charles, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Good to be here. As we start the podcast, always we typically start off with, "How did you get into Volkswagens, and what's your VW story?" Oh yeah, uh, well, fifteen. Uh, my first car was a '72 Quarterback, and you know that was pretty much. Love at first sight ever since. And, uh, you know, just got square back after square back. Started getting some notch backs, uh, fast backs, and just kind of got into it, you know, even before it was really, I mean, it was always a thing, but, you know, it's uh, before they were really valuable i guess sure. <laughs> so everybody was like why you why do you like those cars like i just, I just do <laughs> and, and you and you're and it seems like you start out right out of the gate a type three guy huh yeah yeah type three probably still my favorite models I think they're one of the they're one of the best uh, they're the best handling for sure. I mean, it was the next level Volkswagen as far as VW was concerned, right? That's what they designed all the improvements into. Yeah, they're supposed to be a little more luxurious, you know, more like a real car. <laughs> yeah, get one step closer to being a real car. And, and how old are you when you get your square back? I was fifteen. Yeah. And then, obviously, you're what you do now. You offer products for lowering. Where you were into the street scene, you weren't into stalkers. You were into like lowered square backs and all that uh, kind of look. Yeah, that was that was the first thing that uh, I did was slam the car. I had a buddy, he had a slam bug. He's like, dude, you gotta lower this. And so I was like, sounds good to me. So we pulled the rear torsion bars, 
adjusted it a click. Did the front, so those are different. They have the splines, and so adjusted those. Got it, so I could just barely stick my index finger under it. Yeah, and drove it, rocked it. <laughs> and I mean, you know, you got you got lucky, especially in the world of lowering. As far as the the whole lineup of Volkswagens, the the one with the really the most adjustable suspension would have to be the Type Three. You know, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It doesn't really require any. You know, you don't got to narrow and. And, and cut and turn the beam in the front, you can really lower a Type 3 with really almost no modifications. Yeah, yeah, because they, they got the splines in the front and the rear. I mean, the, the rear is the same as the Type 1. Right. Uh, you know, for the most part. And that front suspension is, it's interesting because you're a suspension guy, and one of the things that makes me crazy, I know everybody loves a tucked front end, and I'm, I'm from the school, like, I'm not a fan of it. I'm more of a sports car look. I like the wheels to be, like, right underneath the outside of the front lips. You know what I mean? I don't want, I don't yeah. like a tubbed front end look, but, uh, you know, with that, you know, in, in being involved in suspension, have you, you know, one of the things that makes me crazy, I don't know how you feel about it, but people that take it and put a type one beam into a type three just seems to be going backwards in technology. You know, I'm kind of for that though. Do you like that? I do. And, and I'll tell you why. Um, because it's a whole nother world, the type three, and there's not a lot of market for it. Right. And so everybody makes disc brakes for the type one. You can pick your, you know, your brand and everyone makes drop spindles. Um, just all kinds of stuff, you know, the good shocks, Bilstein's, mm -hmm. whatever. You can put those all on the type ones. On the type three, it's like, it's, it's, it's trying to reinvent the wheel. And there's not a lot of market for it. So if you can make a type one conversion that fits your type three, which we've been working on something actually on the back burner here, um, you'll, you'll be able to get the best of both worlds really. Yeah. I think, I think the reason I'm so partial to a type three beam is because it was designed for a little bit of a heavier car, but also yeah. I think that the, the torsion design in the front is like the next evolution that they went to short of doing, you know, when they went to McPherson strut front end and the beetle, um, you know, and I've only seen one. I actually saw a type, a type one Gia that was done with a McPherson strut front end and it was a nine, nine, six conversion. But I thought that would be, it's interesting because from a suspension world, I would think people would go more for technology, right? And say like, let's take a super beetle, frame head and put it on a type three and strut for, strut the front end but yeah <laughs> no well super doesn't. beetle the super beetle is another story <laughs> we can talk about that too well yeah no absolutely oh. and, and i mean we're, we're we're here to talk about some suspension but i i kind of want to we drift a little bit away from your story and so you got into type threes you you're really heavy square backs notch backs all that stuff now how do you end up in the industry that you're in and then catapult over to doing suspension parts for Volkswagens. Were you, were you always like an engineering type guy? Yeah, I've always been mechanical, you know. Uh -huh. um, but it really happened whenever um, I got out of the uh, Type 3s and I got my Porsche 914. And I love that car. Um, rebuilt the engine, just boosted it up, Type 4 engine, you know, lowered it. Of course, those things, you can lower them with a, just a turn of a bolt. Right. Because they're, they're made for it. So I really got used to it, got used to the handling, everything. 
and uh, happened to be going to school for mechanical engineering, decided that's what my passion was, and uh, got a bug again. My parents gave me one. First thing I do is slam it, you know, and I, so I'd gotten out of the Porsche. I was going to go back into the bug, drove that thing, and it's like, this is not right. right. This is not right at all. Got the drop spindles. That helped the front end. Um, of course, it widened it out. So, mm -hmm. but the rear end, uh, there was just no solution for it. And so I just saw a hole in the market. It's an open market for it. So I went at it. And now, what what the first thing that you did, the the first thing you designed designed for the rear uh, suspension was what? It's actually a swing axle. Excuse me, swing axle adjustable camber unit. Swing. Do you and, still sell that? Uh, no, in fact, that's one of the projects that I've put on the back burner because the drop plates and everything is really kind of the bread and butter of everything. Sure. But I did I did test the prototype and it was a really nice success. Um, basically, a lockable joint. That's where I started. You know, I started looking at the camber first on the swing axle and without trying to do an IRS conversion. You know, for it. So walk so walk me through the thought process of this. So you were trying to come up with a way to do to lower a swing axle without having a bunch of camber. Correct. Yeah. And the solution I came up with is put a, an extra joint uh, near the wheel and uh, make it lockable so you can adjust it and then lock it and it it performs like a swing axle but with that extra bend in it you can restraighten the wheel. Uh, align it, whatever, mm -hmm. lock it, and then it just performs like a swing axle the whole time. Would it still be a swing axle car, obviously? Yeah. So what you're saying it would be almost like an articulating uh, wheel housing hub the, the, where, the, where the bearing goes? That's the part that articulate? Yeah, there's a little YouTube video I did. If people are interested, just kind of shows the insights, the guts of it. But, yeah, it's uh, basically a reproduction of the uh, fulcrum joint uh, pie and uh, a lock around it, a spherical locking system that holds it in place and then uh, added some, since it's going to be you know lowered most likely, um, a pump, a worm pump near the uh, main axle mm -hmm. uh, fulcrum point and which pumps the fluid back up to the top so that you can get fluid up there instead of burning your bearings out. And then uh, redirects it right back into the transaxle. Hmm. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to check it out. I'm gonna have, I've I've uh, I've never thought about that, but that's definitely uh, you know because the easiest thing you think to yourself is just go ahead and convert it to IRS, right? Do an IRS conversion this way to fix that wheel camber. You know? Yeah, that's that's the easiest way. But you know, I thought you know with the older cars like the Gias or Notchbacks or whatever, you know, you you take some value out of it whenever you do that. Right. And, and so my thought process behind it was this makes something that you can bolt on. And if in the future someone decides they don't want that unbolted, you don't have something that's been, you know, cut and hacked. Interesting. And it's, uh, and it's something that, that kind of bolts physically to the car itself, to the, to the, to the trans housing. Yeah. Yeah. It would, you basically you'd replace the axles. So you keep your original transaxle or whatever you have and then replace the axles and everything uh, assembly with uh, the adjustable camera unit hmm. that's in, that, that is interesting but that that's kind of gone back burner versus like the 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 spring the the drop plates and raised plates huh yeah yeah because in the process of um, 
making that, I started looking at the spring plate and realized, you know, this is, that's the biggest concern right there. Once you lower or raise and mm -hmm. it goes either way, um, you know, it's not articulating properly between the stops and the torsion housing. And there's a rule of thumb. Uh, you need 75% upward travel of that spring plate. You need 25% down. Right. And so anytime, anytime you take a, a factory spring plate and you modify it, um, what you're doing is you're changing that ratio. And so you get too much drop, whatever, like you're going around corners or into dips on the road or something like that. And then you're not getting enough upward travel. So hence you get the hard stop uh, on the upward one. Bump steer, that happens because it pulls the wheels forward. And so they start pointing toe in <clears throat> towards each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's actually on my suspension tech article on my website. But, you know, under static conditions, you know, you're driving, um, they're both fighting each other. And so you're getting tire scrub, like an eraser is scrubbing away your tire. So not only is it riding on the edge of your tire, right. but you're also scrubbing it like an eraser because they're pointing inwards. And so your tire wear, it just goes through the roof, you know, because you're on the edge. That's the first bad thing. The second thing is they're not pointed right. And so, and, and the, the um, dangerous part is that whenever you're, your coefficients of uh, friction change. So mm -hmm. in, in other words, you hit a slippery spot on one side and the other side isn't on a slippery spot, then it'll kick your rear end uh, out the opposite direction. And so, I mean, accidents have happened because of it. And so we address that with the drop plate. Um, so they're actually longer uh, to compensate for that so that you can and we tell all of our customers when you're done installing these and you get it exactly where you want it, take it to the alignment shop. It'll align. So, and then, uh, so do you, so are your, are your spring plates set for adjustment front to back? Like, yeah, I have just, I, I have adjustable. Yeah. Oh, you're talking for the toe on the, on the drop plates. Yeah. Is it adjustable for the toe in toe out? Yep. Yep. So, and, and then what's the default? Let's say you put a set of those on. What's the default on it? Crank them all the way back or push them forward or right in the middle? Right in the middle. Yeah. So we tell everybody, you know, install these like the factories. If you have a full body bug, that is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you have stock torsion bars, then adjust it at 20 degrees is, you know, the general uh, angle. Um, and then put the toe in the middle of the slots, especially when you're talking about uh, swing axles. Yeah. Well, you know, we did the, we did the raised plates on mine and I definitely need to check the rear end alignment and I don't know how much, how much movement is there, is there front to back on that? Do you think? Um, you know, pretty close to three quarters of an inch. And that'd make a pretty, pretty substantial difference. Cause I know we put it on there and I was excited to get the car on the road, but I didn't spend any time like trying to adjust the, uh, the toe in toe out on it we put them in got them on and i had some other issues i was dealing with with the car so i was just wanting to get the raised plates on get it set on the ground see how it is and with so the difference that i experienced with that bug that i have i don't know if you saw the bug um we've got some pictures on my instagram channel of it but it's a 69 beetle that's that's lifted up it's lifted about I think it's got uh, two or three inch raised spindles in the front and then it had the adjustable spring plates in the rear that were used to crank the car up. But uh, mm -hmm. 
I definitely, I had a 31 inch uh, height at the 30 and a quarter inch height at the uh, peak of the fender when I measured before and then after, after I uh, put on the, the drop plates, I had then 31, 31 and three quarters. Uh, so right there at, uh, right there at about two inch raise. And I actually, one of the interesting things that you brought up that I think people don't think about a lot is when we talked about it, we went to set it at 20 degrees or 22 degrees, which would then, we had to really try to articulate the, um, this, the, the, the spring plate itself up quite a bit to get it over the stop and then put it on, meaning putting a lot of preload on it. And then when I called you, I kind of called you on new year's on new year's day, you answered the phone <laughs> nice enough to answer the phone. And I said, Hey, I hate to bother you on new year's day. We're over here, you know, messing with some, was it new? I think it might've been new year's Eve maybe. Um, but it was the, it was during the day of the holiday, the day before or day after I didn't expect anybody to be working. You picked up the phone and I said, got a question about this. I hate to bother you on. He said, no, nah, no problem, which I appreciated. And then, um, you know, putting that on, we had a discussion about that and you said, well, actually you'll need, because I'd found out the car had aftermarket torsion axles in the back. And then we talked about relocating them up. So we actually took preload off of them and you explained why you'd want to take the preload off. Now that that has to do with the 75, 25 ratio that we're talking yeah, about. That's exactly right. So we, what we were doing is we were, re, we're as much as it seems backwards to think that I'm going to take spring load preload off of the drop plate, off of the raise plates to raise the car. Yeah. It's because of the cut of the plate. Yeah. So you were talking raise plates for your car. Correct. And, and, yeah, so you you have to have that seventy five twenty five ratio. Yes, and if you don't, then then that's when the problems happen. And yeah. so the, the critical thing really is the cut of the plate. That's what determines everything. Um, so versus just somebody taking a plate, putting on a plasma cutter, cutting it with like, oh, I'm going to do a six inch drop plate, and they just take the same plate, relocate it six inches down, put a nice S curve in there. That's not doing anything for anybody. There's there's geometry involved in that distance from the pivot point to the mounting point. I mean, that, that geometry, yeah. as you go up and down, it changes. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And, and so you've got, to, met, you've got to compensate for that in the design of the piece itself. That's correct. Yeah. All the, all of our plates are designed no matter what the cut mm -hmm. the, within the torsion housing, you have that 75, 25% ratio um, in, in general. Now you, you can play around with that. You know, you can go 15%, 85%, but by doing so, you're gonna stiffen the ride and it's gonna ride closer to a, a truck. And as it approaches the bottom stop, you know, that ratio is changing. And so is the uh, the stiffness really of the suspension. And here's something I do wanna clear up. A lot of people don't understand the stiffness of the suspension because they say, well, your torsion bar that's your stiffness. It doesn't change. That's correct. You know, your portion, your torsion bar has uh, a certain amount of stiffness, but that's not what we feel because what we feel is the force times perpendicular distance. That's the engineering terms. Mm -hmm. But really all that means is um, here's an easy way to think about it. If uh, you have a sand buggy and you ch change those trailing arms to really, really long ones, let's say let's go like three feet longer 
it feels really soft all of a sudden, like too soft. Wow. Did your torsion bar stiffness change? No, it didn't change. It's still the same thing. So what we're feeling is what I, I, I call the effective stiffness of the suspension. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're playing with whenever we um, start, you know, cranking up factory spring plates or down. You're not changing the stiffness of your torsion bar, but what you feel is, is, is totally different than uh, the stiffness of your torsion bar. You know, we're, we're feeling the real world. Right, because what it's changed is the leverage point because as it goes the leverage, longer. exactly. As, yes. as it goes longer, it's like getting a cheater bar on a wrench. It takes less effort to push it up and down. Exactly. Yes, that's correct. So because of that, if you set it with the same amount of preload and you're cranking it down when it's out there further, it in, it, in effect, it's going to put more downward pressure on it? Is yeah, that yeah. Well, um, I mean, that's what so, makes it stiffer, right? Because you're pu- you, you've got to push more of that you're preloading, you're actually essentially putting more preload if it's further out, right? If you're putting the same preload on it, like the same angle and your and your arm's longer, and now you've got to crank that arm up even higher to get it reset back where it was. Yes, yeah. Then your preload changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, to be clear, preload is simply the angle of twist that we put into a torsion bar whenever we install it. Right. You know, and they all have different... Uh, angles of twist um, that they can handle depending on the, the, the thickness of the torsion bar. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. It, the preload is, is really um, just like it sounds, the load that we put into the system before you're riding on it, you know. I don't know if I, that cleared anything up, um, but, you know, the force is going to be the same. I mean, you you, you got to think about it like when you push down on a table, you know, you push 50 pounds of force down on a table right well the table also pushes up 50 pounds of force and it doesn't move right that's the the physics behind it same thing the force doesn't change on the car but uh how how the suspension handles does you know uh, how it reacts um, its quickness um the stiffness that we feel when we're riding it in it its effective stiffness all of that changes and so when people crank up uh their plates to raise them or they they relax them to lower them uh you're changing what we feel on the inside of the car so let me ask this question so if if to raise the bug putting raised plates on taking the preload out on lowering the bug would you be actually adding more preload to it Uh, so with all of our plates we the preload is going to be the same um it's just the cut of the plate that changes the height of the so, but you, so, but you take it, and the reason why mine we rearticulated mine to change the preload or to change the to remove it from factory settings because I was not using factory torsions. That's correct. Yeah, you're using some thicker torsion bars, and I kind of caught onto that. You told me the color. Yeah, which means that and, there's uh, more preload on them. I mean, they're not more. There's no preload. There's more tension. It takes more effort to torsion. twist those springs. Yes. It's, it's, so the stiffness is what changes. And th- this is the actual engineering term, stiffness. Um, your torsion bar stiffness changes with thicker torsion bars. And so, therefore, you cannot uh, approach it like a factory torsion bar and say, mm-hmm. okay, well, let's say 20 degrees, let's twist. No. If you twist that 20 degrees and it's thicker, you've put so much more preload. And it's measurable if you were to put it onto like a scale. Mm-hmm. And it, with 20 degrees on a factory torsion bar, um, It'll push down uh, 
about, you know, 800 pounds. Um, you do that same thing with a thicker torsion bar and you put it on a scale, you'll see it pushing, you know, like 1500. So you're changing, um, really effective stiffness you're you're twisting the heck out of that torsion bar and so really the magic and this is the key it's that 75 25 percent ratio and and people cut their stops off for rate you don't need to do any of that stuff people even put limit straps you don't need those either really i mean you can oh yeah you know no our raised plates you don't have to have limit straps with them as long as you haven't messed with the stops and whenever you set it on the ground drive it around you go look at it if you have about a half an inch distance away from the bottom stop, you're in the money zone right there. So that's where it should be sitting static. Like when you're looking at the car with the plate, whether you're raised or lowered, you should be a half inch off that bottom stop. Yeah, approximately. Yeah. Because the sweet spot would be when the weight, when the static weight of the car is sitting on it, it's already in preload because that's the load, the load of the car sitting static. Yeah. We preload is, is um, think of it with the car up in the air. And you had to clear that bottom stop. That's the initial amount of load you had to put into it yeah, right. to get there. And that load's put in there so it will zero out the weight of the, essentially zero out the weight of the car sitting on it. Yeah. So that it'll function, it'll fun, that, that functions as effectively the zero point. So, all right. So now that, ma- so that makes sense. So we're, <laughs> and I'm, and I'm hoping we're not getting too wordy where people are getting a little too, too buried in the weeds, but essentially when you go with that, a raised or lowered spring plate, because you're repositioning the finished, the static position of the wheel, the length actually changes, which is why there's some guys that are out there that are making the length in front trailing arms to recenter the wheel. Because when you lower it with the way the VW suspension is like a pendulum style suspension, it's got one fixed point. It changes, it changes its vertical position depending on what angle it's at. Yeah, you don't have to do that with any of our stuff, but there are I've seen it. Yeah. So yours, sure. so yours actually keeps it right in the center of the wheel arc, and and you've calculated that into the design of your of your axles. Yes. Or, I mean, of your, your spring plates. So now, besides the so the spring plates you make for the rear suspension. So you've got the raised plates, the lower plates, um, and now you also make rear sway bars too. Well, it says not available yet. And I was going to, because I was going to ask you about rear sway bars. A lot of people are starting to use like a geared, a fixed geared, a torsion style sway bar. I think that would maybe be the appropriate term, right? Yeah. Now, do you, are you guys in the works of developing something like that? Yeah, we've made, we've made a few of them, but you know, it's like with the other things, we've been focusing on the rear suspension since that's such a hole in the market. But yeah, there's a, rear sway bar that would be a torsion style and um to be clear it's definitely different than what comes with uh the factory when you see what it looks like they're called z bars right those are are not sway bars at all yeah those Those are those are anti-roll bars they're actually anti uh axle jacking bars where the axle will will get hyper extended yeah uh swing axles had a, a problem it has to do with the center of gravity, mm-hmm. but when going around a corner, it would sometimes just happen unexpectedly. Uh, the, the axles would just uh, basically go underneath the car, you know, and turn the, the wheel with positive camber, uh, mm-hmm. excessive, and basically you could wreck. And so that's what those Z bars were an attempt to reduce is axle jacking. 
on swing axles. Okay. But they, they didn't come up with any rear sway bars for uh, factory Volkswagens. Right. Th those are more of like a liability bar is what they put that in. It wasn't for any kind of performance. Yeah, it was to keep them from getting sued if people rolled their car. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, if we're just being honest about what it's for, I mean, it, it really, with or without it, it doesn't affect the performance. I don't, because they're not under any kind of... When you look at how, when you understand, and by no means am I any kind of uh, physicist at all, but if you look at the way a sway bar works in basic terms, it's one bar trying to hold both arms at the same level. And as they start to move in opposite directions, it tries to flatten the load out, which is where you get your kind of flat tracking experience from. And those Z bars do nothing of the sort. They're just there for under exactly. extreme, extreme cornering. There's a stop there. It's another stop. Yeah, yeah, they kind of work the exact opposite of a sway bar. Right. Sway bar, whenever one wheel, because of body roll, one wheel will get tucked up into the um, fender mm -hmm. as the body is rolling to go around the corner. Well, it uses that motion of the wheel getting tucked up into the fender, and it, it basically imparts force to the other side to pull that one up. And that one also plays on the other one to push it back down. So it helps stabilize against uh, your body roll and, uh, you know, just excessive well, body roll, really. Right, right. So now, so what I ended up buying from my car was just a raised plate. Now, you also make the, um, the, the what are they called here? Let me get there. The roller bearing retainers. Now, what's the what's the purpose in the in the in the physics behind the roller bearing retainers? Yeah, th th those are pretty cool. Um, I'll I'll tell you uh, a story about how I got into those. Um, you know, because I'd like to take credit for everything. You know, oh, I knew I knew this way ahead of time. You sound, <laughs> but, you sound like me. Go ahead. <laughs> right. <laughs> but to, to to be honest, I didn't. I I just wanted to make. Uh, it was when we were doing the needle bearings and you know one of the things that the bushings do is they tend to inhibit motion so i wanted to free up the suspension just make it a little more reactive so now to back that down a little bit what you're saying is is we've got the spring plate the the torsion bar which goes into the end of the spring plate cover and it's a little bit loosey-goosey in there with that with that urethane mount like there's it's designed to have some sort of movement in there yeah i'd say the uh it's loosey goosey, but that's not what I was trying, uh, focusing on. It also, it acts a little bit like a break, you know? So, and every time that spring plate wants to pivot, you have these two bushings pushing against each other and holding on to the spline stub there. Okay. And so, so whenever it wants to go up and down, well, it's resisting it, you know, cause they're bushings. They're not just free bearings. Right. And so that's what I was attacking was like, okay, let's free this up and, uh, it'll move faster. It'll react to the road better, more road time, basically your, your tires will have. And so I, I went ahead and made it and tested it. it worked great. I didn't have a big engine. So I sold it to one of my customers though, and he had a big engine. And the first thing he did after installing it, he called me up. He's like, dude, my car is faster. I'm like, what? He's like, no, my car is faster. Like seriously, uh, I just put on your spring plates. That's it. And it hooks up. It never used to hook up and bounce all over the road. And it's sort of, it was an epiphany to me. It's like, Oh, well, duh. I mean, because the bushings also, you mentioned loosey goosey. That's wasn't what I was focusing on, but it's true. Um, they are the members that deflect and squish whenever you're trying to hook up with power to the road. 
And the way I, I, I like to think about it is it's like trying to reinforce a trampoline, like trying to get all the bounce out of a trampoline right. by, re, by reinforcing the legs. That's what people have been doing with the frame horns and the torsion tubes. And I mean, sure, I mean, you can make a trampoline stiffer theoretically by just reinforcing the legs, mm-hmm. but there's that rubber thing right in the middle. And yeah. that's what the bushings are. The bushings are that. And so by replacing that bushing with a, a rigid member, like a bearing, mm-hmm. you've bypassed 90% of all the issues that you've been trying to address with getting rid of wheel hop. It's, it's right there in the bushing, you know. Now, do the torsion tubes deflect frame horns? Sure. Yeah. You know, but not not nearly like the bushing. That's, well, yeah. The, I mean, now that we now that we're talking about it, like you think to yourself when you first see that triangular bar in the back, you're like, "Oh, yeah, this makes a ton of sense." And I think where they may have gotten that idea from was from the from the um, the Formula V cars, right? Because I think they I think they integrated yeah. the back of the Formula V, but the Formula V has no body to bring all that together. Where the Volkswagen actually uses the body shell itself to tie those parts together, and. Yeah, you know, I think everybody does it. Says, "Oh yeah, it stiffens it up." But uh, I see what you're saying, and it makes sense now to take the end of that that torsion housing that just sits inside of a rubber, uh, like a like a rubber boot, to give it some some uh, a little bit of deflection in there. This makes it all rigid. Now, I would assume this would add a little bit to road noise since you're no longer dampening that sound. The vibration will be transferred through the metal. But I mean, believe it or not, it doesn't add any road noise. Really? Yeah. Can't tell. No, and so so let so let's just break this down real quick. So this you basically if you're gonna put a set of these on, right? And your purpose behind designing these was what now? Now because you said because it eliminates wheel hop and that's how you've got it advertised on your site. But the original reason you designed it was specifically to get what different performance besides the wheel hop? Just more road time with your wheels because, you know, those are going through very fast articulations. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't realize when we're driving the car. It has to, it has to, every bump you go over, every pebble, uh, every dip, crack in the road, your wheels have to go up and go back down as fast as they can right? Uh, to catch, you know, the car. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I was addressing. It's like, let's give these wheels, basically, we're talking, you know, microseconds, but still more road time for your tires to experience um, therefore better performance you know going around a corner um it'll just be on the road just a little bit longer that's what i was after so not the wheel hop i think about that yeah so you're taking like the additional the additional suspension that's that's diluted through that bushing getting rid of that and having it more directly directed to the tires the tires so you're using the actual sidewall, the tire versus the bushing. Yeah, say that again. I'm sorry. Is that what you're saying? Like by getting rid of that bushing and solid mounting that front piece, you're getting that little tiny bit of slop that you may not notice now, but you'll notice in the driving characteristics of the car, which VW probably did for economy A and B for maybe a little bit of road noise or whatever, but just by putting that bushing or just not that concerned with performance because these were economy cars yeah we're just we're just getting more road time for the uh tires because uh there's less resistance for the bushings to hold uh, the trailing arm and spring plate in, in place 
So in other words, it's more freely acting. It doesn't take as much force to swing that arm up and down uh, whenever you add a bush, uh, I'm sorry, a bearing and replace your bushing with it. So, the, so that's, that's what I was after. And the bearing replaces the urethane bushing you're talking about. Correct. And, but it, with it being a tight fit, it's more like a mechanical, like a mechanical swinging piece versus like a piece that's, that's tolerances are like a eh, quarter inch, but it's made up by that rubber bushing in there, which would be, a yeah. you get some side twist and some stuff like that. So I'm sure, I'm sure it affects a lot of different aspects that you may or may not notice subconsciously, but definitely would enhance the characteristics of it. So originally you did this to get rid of that. And then I see, so it's like, it's, it's the, the picture I'm looking on your website is it looks like four pieces. It's got an outer plate, the, the, the raised plate, and then it has the adjustable raised plate with it, right? So you've got a raised plate with an adjuster on it. Is that right? I believe so. I'm going to have to go look at the website, but uh, yeah, let's see. Um, are you looking at the IRS? Well, I'm looking, I'm looking at the swing axle one where it's got a, it's got a raised plate that's adjustable and then that goes on to the machined end cap with the bearing that goes over the torsion tube. Yeah, so I think you're looking at the drop plate, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the drop plate one. So you make them in a standard in a stock and in a drop plate or adjustable. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, we make uh stock cut plates for people who don't want to change the height of the car. Mm -hmm. Um adjustables, of course, and we make drop plates for the lower guys and raised plates for those who want a Baja. So you're saying I could have gone higher with my bug. What's what <laughs> versus my two inch raised plates. If I got two inch raised plates with adjusters, I could have adjusted it higher. Heck yeah. We even make three inch raised plates. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let me get this. Cause right now as I was driving it, I was thinking as we we're talking, I didn't set the alignment. And so, and so used to just being a backyard guy. And also when I'm doing stuff, it's like, I'm, I have the one day to do everything that I wanted to do and I'm jamming it all on this day. And I don't go back through and verify and check and, and verify dimensions of the rear suspension. I think we kind of, as VW guys, we get a little bit sloppy on that in our garage. There's not a lot of guys that have a machinist mentality to be that precise. The majority <laughs> of us, and I'm the first one to do it. You know what I mean? So, um, I would think, yeah. I, I would think that, um, you know, cause I'm driving my car later that day and I'm like, man, this thing is sketch balls on the freeway, man. It's like, I get on the freeway and it just feels like it, it I get about 65 mile an hour. It gets a little twitchy. And I haven't checked the front. I haven't checked center to center on the axles, but I'm going to bet that they're going to be out of whack to some degree if it feels a little drifty on the highway. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, that's why I tell everybody take it to the alignment shop when you're done. Just you know, get it to where you even if they're adjustables, you know, adjust it around, drive it, adjust it, drive it until you get it just the way you want it. Then take it to the alignment shop. Yeah, I'd get it uh, get it dead set on there to get that front and rear toe in and all yeah. that stuff set just right. Yeah, because every every time that your wheel goes through a motion, it does change alignment, and so it's supposed to go back to its original alignment that the alignment shop set. But you know, it, you get those things out of whack, and it's not going to drive right. Yeah, no. So I so I like the I like the the I like the roller bearing the roller bearing retainer, and you make those for both the long and short stub outs on the uh, axles there. 
Yeah. Now, what's the yeah. difference that VW did those? I mean, what what what's essentially the difference between those real long ones? Because on some of these Gias, that that thing sticks out so far, man, it's hard to pull that spring <laughs> off and get it. And they they put that. I don't know what the hole is in the body, but you're supposed to do something through that hole. But I don't know. It looks like a it looks like a, a hole before a baby's born, and it's a lot smaller than what you think's coming out of that. Um, but uh, what 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 is what is the purpose that VW did? They're just changing the the spring tension on that or was that their evolution of the, did they throw that out there to kind of counterbalance something or I, I don't really understand what that's why VW changed that. Do you understand what the purpose is that on the early cars they're short and it's a spring plate cover and on the later cars, there's a hole in the spring, there's a hole in the torsion bar cover and it comes all the way through. I do. What's that? Yeah, what, well, good. What's the reason for that? Okay. So, um, your stiffness in your torsion bar, going back to that uh, subject, how it's not something that you feel, it's a property of your torsion bar. Um, it changes with a longer torsion bar. So uh, you, think, you think of it in extremes, right? So, say you have one uh, like a short torsion bar, 21 and three quarters, and say you have one that's like 60 inches, right? Same thickness. You can twist to 60 inches like nothing, right? Right. But the short one, that's pretty stiff. Well, that's the stiffness that you change with the length. So it's a stiffness is a is a property of the materials involved, and the thickness and the length of the torsion bar. Okay. And so with the longer ones, they they could, basically they gave it more cush ride, just a little, you know a little softer feeling. But they also increased the thickness a little bit to compensate. See, for that. that's what I was going to say. Did that was it to slow down rebound, or the the or was it to increase the spring load and give it a better ride? Because it, like, it was to give it more of a, a relaxed ride. Okay. Um, it, the angle of twist honestly has nothing to do with it. Now, all torsion bars have a maximum angle of twist, which mm -hmm. means that you can just. Let's use 30 degrees as an example. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it all varies depending on the thickness of the torsion bar. But if you have one torsion bar that you, you twist it 30 degrees and that's its maximum, that's its angle of twist, it means that if you start at zero and then you twist it to 30 and then you relax it, it'll go back to zero. But if you go 31 because we've exceeded its angle of twist, it's going to now relax at one degree. And now you've entered into the failure zone. None of these torsion bars that are factory, I want to say, um, will you experience a failure because of your exceeding the angle of twist? So that wasn't one of the things that they were thinking about. They were thinking more in terms of the, the stiffness of the ride when they did that, mm -hmm. you know, the, 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 what I call the effective stiffness, what you feel. So you get a longer torsion bar and your ride is softened up a bit. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So, so let me ask this question if you were to take, let's say you had the long axles and you don't really like the long, you don't like the long torsion to torsion bars and you wanted to go with small ones. Are you going to sacrifice much ride quality or you're, we, you think us in the world of lowered cars are not going to notice the difference. You can notice it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you have longer torsion bars and people do it all the time with Bajas for wheel clearance, you know, they want to go to the short one. Um, yeah, you'll notice if you if it's the same thickness and you go from a longer one to a shorter one, it's it's something that you can notice. Hmm. It'll be stiffer. It'll be stiffer with the shorter torsion bar. So your advice is if you've got a so like my Type Thirty Four Gia's got it's got the uh, the long the long um, 
the long torsion bars on it. And mm -hmm. it's, it, you know, they're not good to look at, but I guess, <laughs> I guess, um, you're saying if I put the shorter bars on there, it's going to change the characteristics of the ride that that car was designed to have. If it has a longer bars on it. Yeah. It'll feel stiffer. Okay. Interesting. And I'm trying to think what, what direction I want to go. Cause on all my cars, I, always, I usually run them where they where they're a little more performance oriented, but I, I'd like the clean look of a nice tight spring plate. You know what I mean? I think mm -hmm. aesthetically it'd look good, but then again, yours with the, uh, with the rear suspension on there, yours with those, um, those spring plate retainers, those, the roller bearing ones, those look super slick too. So those don't, those make it not as unsightly. And the end, the end cap, does that just go on the, that just goes on the end of the, uh, the end of the bar? Yeah. That's yeah. Like, it's just kind of a just cosmetic like, thing. It does hold the bearing though, actually. So it's very functional. Okay. Yeah, no, those are, those, those are pretty slick now. I, and I saw, so, so the funny part is, you know, I, I'm, as I'm cruising through your website, I saw on the next page when, when you said, you know, about us and I get to the bottom and it says, uh, you know, there's been a lot of haters that try to dissuade him from buying parts from you guys. And even worse, those that are willing to lie because they stake their reputation on their belief that drop raised plates could simply not possibly work. Now, I don't get why somebody couldn't understand the basic concept of a, a raised or drop plate, how it wouldn't work. That seems... Oh, yeah. If you click on that link, it's a, a headache and a half. <laughs> it's, it's how I got started, actually, is by fighting the world on it. Now, now I'm going to ask this question. So when you got started, what made you decide to get into this? It seems to be such a niche market. I mean, does the the main business, Kinetech, does something else that, that feeds your family, that's your kind of bread and butter? And then you thought, hey, I'm a VW enthusiast. I'm also a machinist. I can make these parts and pieces. The VW market, you know has a real crap level you know that that's a big beef right so i'm talking to a guy i don't know if you're familiar how old are you 44 okay so you're you're a little bit younger than me so you may not remember so so i own the car future shock now which was an 87 cover car it was it's a pink notchback roadster it's full blown full custom from the 80s right i just recently picked it up the guy who built that car, Steve Connect, he's in his 60s, right? He's Well, he's, he's late 50s, early 60s right now. Talked to him on the mm -hmm. phone. This guy's moved on from building full-blown, full-show cars, and he has an engineer's mind, and he's been in engineering and development uh, since, the, since the 80s. He's now building, and, and since he's gone on from VWs, he's built hot rod after hot rod after hot rod for all these people, and has just built some of the craziest stuff out there, right? Mm -hmm. And we're talking, now that I got him, we're talking about VWs again and whatever, back to his youth when he was 20 years old. And he's restoring a bug right now. And he said to me, I am appalled at the quality of parts that are available for Volkswagen people. He, says, <laughs> he yes. says, I ordered door handle gaskets. They don't fit. The rubber's brittle. They're pieces of crap. And I spent all this time doing paint body everything on this car. And the door handle gaskets are trash. And I said to him the same thing that I said when I had the CEO of Impy on the podcast. I said, and he came, you know, Phil Kane came from, he came from a world of uh, Pirelli and all these places where it was like you could, the automotive world is so huge and there's so much good stuff that we built. And I said, well, now you're entering into the world of Volkswagens, which is a huge aftermarket world, right? It's a, it's gotta be, 
it's got to be a few hundred million dollars, if not close to a billion dollar aftermarket industry. And I don't care what anybody says because it's worldwide, right? And the the level and quality of parts that we get is pure trash. I mean, it's yeah. it, it's pure awful, which is interesting that we're talking. He said what started it is you just decided, hey, I'm going to make something for Volkswagen guys. I'm using my engineering understanding to do this. I'm going to make some raised plates. They seem fairly easy enough, straightforward. I'm going to put the engineering into it that most guys in the VW world don't really put a lot of engineering. Like most things in the VW world are kind of taking somebody else's idea and then copying it. Yeah, that's true. And so at what point did you make that transition where you're like, hey, I'm going to start this because this thread starts off. It looks like this thread was uh okay. oh I, uh, 2011 this thread kicked off so we're now we're on <laughs> the uh was this the 11th year anniversary of this thing? yeah yeah or the 10 year anniversary <laughs> of this thing of this thread that got started and give me the story about this like you know you're doing your private hobby thing you say hey man i've got the tooling i can do this i'm gonna make this and man i'm gonna bring something great to the vw world yeah well so you're asking me how, how yeah, like I got how started. Did, how did this come about where you decided, like, I'm going to do this, and then you thought, hey, here's a great thing. Here, guys, guess guess what I'm going to make for you. Yeah, so, you know, I saw the niche. Um, I came up with some uh, different designs, um, tested them. They failed, you know. So, you know, did, did homework, you know, failures. That happens. Um, then an epiphany kind of, you know, going through the engineering program. I was like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, all you got to do is just, you know, make a zigzag looking type of plate, I guess, if you want to call it that. And, uh, so I did that and well, actually it was back up. There was, uh, what gave me that epiphany is that one of my designs had broke when driving it to the driveway, you know? And, uh, but the way it broke, I looked at it and I was like, Oh, I'll weld it into that position. And once I did, all of a sudden it, it drove nice. And it's like, Oh no, no duh. You know, I, I should have, I should have known better. Um, did the calculations and everything and i'm sorry that's my dog she's <laughs> she's kind of a yelper no but anyway uh did the calculations and um, sure enough uh you know it's uh, it's a real thing and so um went and got some laser cut parts uh better for you know for that design and uh, drove on them and yes this is this is it and i just realized you know there's nothing out there this is this is the only thing that's out there that is what i'm driving on you know and so i presented it to the world i i figured everybody would they, they would just be all for it you know <laughs> you thought to yourself wait till they see this man i'm not gonna have enough room <laughs> to receive all the thanks these guys are gonna give me <laughs> well that's exactly right i thought you know yeah they're gonna love it you know is this gonna be like oh yeah, yeah i'm gonna be rich so hold on and... so, so you're you made a set of custom drop plates for your own car and you thought man this is this is the way like this is the coolest thing ever got great ride i'm gonna make these for people and they're gonna be super thankful that's exactly what I thought. So you go on this and kick <laughs> this forum off and it's like, no, man, sorry. I mean, what's, what is the biggest, cause you, some of the designs I I've noticed, like the interesting part that I bring up when I discuss ideas with people, I say, you know, we've all been there where you're up at night and you see that as seen on TV thing. And you're like, wow, that's so simple. It's stupid, simple. And how come I never thought of that? And, and I think it comes to that point where sometimes ideas are so basic, 
people can't wrap their mind around it, like how basic it is to just say, let's just make this, you know, offset articulated that that you're going to lower it in the spring plate and not readjust the torsions. And now you're going to have the benefit of stock spring rate with a relocated axle. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you, you go to the website and you're like, man, I'm going to the Samba. I'm taking this to the world. And then all hell. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I made probably just as many enemies as I did friends at the same time. You know, it's uh, I, I introduced it and they're like, no, that can't work. And it's like, well, it does. You know, I'm driving on it. And I said, no, I can't because, you know, this and that reason. And so, you know, they got me going and I was like, well, you know, let's talk about this then. And then it led to diagrams and it led to. Yeah, know, well, I'm looking at this guy's diagram and he said. Uh, and he says you can't argue with physics. And then I'm kind of looking at his sketch here, and I'm like, well, what physics program is this cat using? Because this looks like dog. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not one to, you know, but I've I looked at this, and uh, it's kind of, it's yeah. interesting. It's interesting to say at least, because it, I think what everybody seems to forget, at, the, at least at the beginning of their arguments, the guy saying he can't argue with physics, physics and he's argue, he's debating the, per, the the design of the arm not realizing mm-hmm. the purpose of the design of the arm is to relocate mm-hmm. the wheel height while retaining stock spring load. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's, yeah. the, that's the thing that's interesting to me that, cause it seems to make common sense. Like, yeah, well that would, that would seem like a better riding option than just re readjusting the torsion arms. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know, in, in, in college and under the mechanical engineering program, you know, when we talk physics, we'll have a free body diagram. We'll have things that really only engineers do, you know, and then it, it doesn't become a question of debate. You know, you, you can see it right there. You can crank the numbers. And, but these guys, they were like, let's talk physics. And they throw some, you know, cartoon at me. Yeah. And so I, I finally did drop some free body diagrams. And when I did, then nobody had anything to say about it. They're like, I don't even understand what that means. Like, well, then are we going to talk physics or are we going to, you know, talk, how about just drive on it? You know, that's what I said. You know, it's like, Hey, we can talk physics all day, but you know, just, just ride on it. Right. I mean, you can say it doesn't work all day, but if you haven't driven on it, then you don't really know. I mean, you know, there's, there's the, the engineering that you can do, but if you're not an engineer <laughs> and you haven't driven on it, then you don't, you can't argue that it doesn't work, you know? <laughs> so, but yeah. it, it led to, it, if you go to the end of that thread too, though, it led to, I think it went 50 pages and, by the time you get to the last pages, I mean, I threw in some incredible data that people had never seen, except probably Ferdinand Porsche or somebody. You know, I, I threw in data the exact degree that any uh, IRS, regardless of this type of arm or this type, you know, every d- degree to the decimal point where it moves, both alignment, everything, um, toe in, uh, all of it, you know, and so that's because that's what I do. I'm an engineer, you know, so I can tell you, you know, how much force it'll give you at a given angle, you know, right. or or if you move a one tooth is 8.18 degrees, um, or if you move uh, one degree, you're almost a third of an inch with that, you know, all those things that are the mathematics of it. So um, <laughs> yeah. that's what I was, that's what I was trying to give to the world. And, you know, you know, I it's been, it's been a good turnaround. Um, I'm happy with, uh, what we, you know, we've done with the business. And, you know, I guess my, my, my 
highest point would be whenever Daryl Vatone called me. Yeah. Because uh, everybody knew who he was, and he was such a humble guy. And he, he says, uh, you know, I'd like to, I, I've heard that uh, you're the guy to talk to for suspensions on Volkswagens. So I need your help. And I'm like, yeah, what's your name? He's like, oh, I'm Daryl Vitone. I'm like, you know, wait, hold on. Did you say you're <laughs> Daryl Vitone? Right. He's like, yeah. I'm like, so do you mean like the Daryl Vitone? He's like, um, yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> like, you're kidding me. And so uh, he, he had this gear that he was um, trying to pull a world record on with the 36 horsepower challenge. And one of one of the issues he was facing was he had a, he wanted to lower it you know, to reduce the drag coefficient so he can get higher speeds going. And uh, in doing so, it, the ride was horrible. And he was going over the Mojave, Mojave Mile. Mm-hmm. And that that's an old airport strip that's loaded with uh, – old cracks and tarred up things so that the the riding terrain is not ideal at all it's not a smooth surface and so i said i'll I'll happily help you out and so i gave him some some drop plates um that dropped that thing down his guys installed it and it it changed his ride he was able to pull off uh, fuel records on that thing on, on my stuff you know on the product that doesn't work so yeah no it's i mean it's interesting and i and i always wonder you know my my school of thoughts always like if someone's bringing something to the table let's first assess what their background is and what you know like where they get their understanding because they might know a little bit more than i do and and sometimes instead of arguing it's like listen to what what someone has to say and, and listen like you're trying to learn something you know and it might be the difference between you understanding or not because like I'm saying, all I'm doing is looking at, looking at the, the design, it, like a typical drop plate helps. And, and since 2011, there's been quite a few drop plates have come out since then, hasn't there? Yeah. Um, I, there have been people who've saw what I've done and ran with it. And there's been, I'm not going to mention any names. There's been companies who have bought products from me and said they're going to be vendors and now they're selling. So, yeah, but, uh, it's kind of circles back to, you know, my, my battle to show that, that uh, it's, a, it's a real thing, you know, and so are race plates. But so far, I still don't see anybody making anything for the IRS. And that's a whole another world right there, too. You know, now, what's the what's the biggest challenge with I, I mean, what are some of the challenges that you battle with IRS? Now, you say and what you mean by that is like you make the IRS adjustable plates. Not a lot of other people do or the raised plates. I don't know anybody who makes IRS raised plates or drop plates. Right. Um, no, maybe there are, are. I just don't know of any. Well, I know Adam works does because that's what I have. Oh my God. I, don't know. I just went with, I just went with whoever. And the, the interesting part with my brother restoring cars, my brother puts his hands on a lot of different people's stuff and the challenge. And I'm a guy in my lineup of vehicles that I have. I have my original bull run bus that I built in 2000. 2001 and that bus has stock suspension with flipped spindles on the front right and i've got uh what do i have in the rear i just have rear articulate i just have a bus boys kit in the rear of that bus so that bus is phase one now my next bus that i built has a narrowed narrowed adjustable uh drop spindle beam on the front on my carbon cab and the rear i have I have Russell's raised uh, lower plates in the back that uses the stock, um, 
Russell with old speed I had, he did the drop plates in the rear for the bus. Like the, the, the long ones that bolt to the stock, it uses this, it's, it's a, it's an adapter that bolts to the stock torsion or to the stock flat, plate. flat bus spring plate. Yeah. Like I think they call them horseshoes or something like that. Uh, it's, not, well, it's not a horseshoe on the, on the, on the one that I have, it's a straight piece, but that, that's what I have on that. And okay. then in my never ending quest for Volkswagen <laughs> stuff, I have a 51 split window that I still have yet to drive. And as soon as I started building it about 12 years ago and the chassis there, it has a complete, uh, at the time it was a Mendiola suspension, but I think it's a cool ride suspension that's on it. I have yet to drive it. Um, and the, the purpose that I did that on my split windows, I always envisioned myself going to a track day with my split window up against a bunch of Porsches, right? So, um, I've got that. And then now the, my Bullrun bus is being redone and the suspension that I'm doing in that, that I'm still waiting on that I paid for quite, quite a while ago, um, <laughs> is a full hydraulic suspension. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that setup that demon motorsports makes, but that's, no. that's the one that I'm trying. And what it does is it uses, I felt it pretty ingenious for an adjustable suspension. It seems to be the best bang on the market for what it does. Now I don't have it yet. I've seen video, <laughs> seen videos of it. I'm, I'm to the verge of getting a little bit frustrated waiting for it. Um, and understanding that these things are custom made bespoke things that, you know, and it wasn't cheap. I think it was 7,000 bucks for the whole suspension set up front and rear for my bus. And they use about uh, a three inch hydraulic ram that articulates all the center pivot points. So it uses one and then it has a, a secondary as a slave and it, and it moves uh, with the with the articulation of one hydraulic ram moving, I think three inches, it pivots all the points, all the center fulcrum points for the suspension to raise and lower the car. What's so, the name of the suspension? Uh, Demon Motorsports. So Just you, like Demon, I yeah, guess if you, if you Facebook page his setup and check it out, you feel free to give me your feedback on it because I, I bought a setup. And the, the thing, here's what I liked about it. In the world of adjustable suspension, it uses a, I did a whole podcast with him and you can listen to it. And Ryan Lothar, who runs that, has got some experience building chassis, uh, race car stuff and things like that. And the reason that I like that is because it uses a hydraulic system that uses short throw rams to adjust the center the center pivot point in the rear suspension and the front one. And what it does is, uh, you know, it uses a lift gate motor. So it's a sealed mm-hmm. unit. It's all, everything's underrated for what it's, it's way overrated for what it's going to go through in its, in its duty cycle. Mm-hmm. And which to me, as fast as it was articulating suspension, I thought, man, that's perfect because my, now this is my backyard engineering degree. But me looking at it thinking, hey, if you're relocating the center pivot point by and then raising and lowering the car, at all times, your spring tension is stock in theory. Because if you're relocating the center pivot points, it's lowering the car. And as much as it's bringing the car up and down, I mean, in theory, I guess you're not under stock spring load because you've now re- repositioned the center fulcrum point. But it's one way to adjust and lower the, the height of the car and then bring it back up to a stock ride height if you wanted or a little bit lowered and having, you know, good spring rate on it. So that's, that's my 
thought behind it, but I've definitely, you know, it's a never ending world of VW suspension. You think how can such a simple car have so many different suspension setups, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It seems like uh, it never ends. I'd have to, I'd have to check it out. I mean, it sounds something, it sounds from what you're saying uh, about something that I came up with a while ago. I called it hat suspension, hydraulic adjusted torsion bars. Yeah. And that's, so that's, so you said you came up with something like that. <laughs> Yeah, I told you I've, I've come up with a lot of things that you know people. Yeah, this is uh, like well, or run off of or whatever. Well, and I'm kind of I'm kind of like that too. I'm I'm not you know I am I I do have certain inventions that are not Volkswagen related that um, I'm in the patent process of. Yeah, but for the VW stuff, you know, I I just come up with something and I just give it to the world. You know, and you can buy it from me or if someone rips it off. You can buy it from them. Yeah, I I don't get really. Um, to but hurt over things like that. I mean, I'm, I'm happy if I can give an idea and, it, and it, it, it takes its own life, honestly. Now, talk to me about your front, your front axle beam that you have on here. Is that, is that something that you sell that's available? This Accutech, uh, is it, is that what you call it? Accutech front beam? Uh, I call it, um, well, what do I call it? Let me go look at my website here. <laughs> Well, I because I, I looked at it when I clicked it, it said it said under front suspension. It says, uh, "Let me see here." Well, this looks like a a complete a complete beam here. Yeah, so that's a it's well, I was calling them build a beam, um, but it's entirely CNC machined with no parts other than just the. Uh, middle adjuster pieces for the avis adjusters mm -hmm. uh, no no other parts are welded and so it bolts together entirely and you get the best of both worlds the whole thing weighs less than 30 pounds um it's uh, got steel where you need the steel and aluminum where you don't need the rigidity of steel mm -hmm. and uh it's something that you can throw all the parts into a box send off and then the uh, builder at the end at the other end can put together kind of like your own engine and you know it, it's uh, part of a bigger design too but um with those uh torsion tubes you can maybe get some narrower ones and you have it all the other suspension components are the same uh, other than the tubes and so mm -hmm. you can get some narrow ones and have a narrow beam or you can take the same beam and get wide ones and have a wider beam and it's not welded together, so you don't have to deal with, uh, you know, craftsmanship on that. It's made with the CNC machines, which never miss a beat. So, and have you have you sold a few of these beams, these front beams? Oh, we're working on machining them right now. And what's a beam like this going to run? Like a complete front beam? Or I guess it just probably going to be. It just goes out to the you put you you build it from your torsion arms out, or does it come with tor torsion arms? No, no, it it doesn't come with torsion arms, okay. um, uh, control arms, really. But uh, probably about twelve hundred bucks um, in that neighborhood for a complete beam minus torsion arms. So it's just the beam itself. <clears throat> You'd have to, you know, get your own torsion leaves or reuse yours. Now, is this got? Does this have an integrated uh, sway bar? So that that would be uh, an extra thing, but it does have room for a sway bar. So since it's a beam, you could still put on a regular sway bar, which I'm kind of against because they drag on the bottom. I, I've seen some uh, mid-moving ones now, but uh, that's what this one is designed with. So you can buy it from me, the, the, the sway bar, and it has 
different points where you can mount onto the sway bar, mm -hmm. which really it, it changes the effective stiffness of the sway bar. So how well it works. So how, in, by doing so, whenever you change the, the the stiffness of your front and rear sway bars, you can actually fine tune your car to get, you know, um, different handling characteristics. You know, understeer or oversteer. You can right. fine tune that and get them. So that's what this whole thing is designed to basically completely capitalize on that you can fine tune your oversteer and understeer characteristics and get it just right. Yeah, no, it looks. Uh, I mean, it looks pretty. It looks pretty slick. I mean, it looks like a pretty serious, a pretty serious deal. Um, and th this, you're in the process of manufacturing a couple of these beams right now. You're making. Yeah, that we're we're doing it. It's just there's there's a few components per beam. So, you know, in the manufacturing world, it's <clears throat> never easy to get to product one. But once you do, then you can make a bunch of them. So, you know, everything that we make here involves a lot of fixturing and jigs and mighty bites and tooling and time on the machine yeah all that stuff you got to think about so no it looks well it looks like you're i mean it looks like you're you're set up to do a, a lot of a lot of stuff coming up in the near future um like rear suspension you've got some rear torsion bars now you're are you you're coming up with is that on the back burner right now like the rear torsion bar setup or the rear sway bars i mean yeah, the the sway bars I've definitely put on the on the back berm because I, I'm the next thing that we're doing is the beams on the front. So your focus yeah. is you're gonna you're gonna get that front beam, the new front beam design. I mean, it seems pretty interesting. I mean, I definitely uh, when you get it done, and uh, we might do a deep dive into that front suspension. And so you're and, and so the selling point to that front beam is that one beam, and you can move it from car to car. Is that what you're thinking, or if if they want, you know, yeah, you, you could you or could just to take it and sell it. A nice light, a nice performance lightweight beam that's got all. I mean, is this more? That's really what it's about. Yes, that's really what it's, it's a performance lightweight beam. It's not necessarily like oh, you're gonna sell it. I mean, you can whatever, but um, everything that I do, I make so that it's bolt on for one thing. So that's my philosophy. I'm not gonna sell anybody a part that you have to weld on or cut something to make it work. Right. So so it's a bolt on beam that uh has a lot of advantages over anything else first of all we talked about the weight okay so that's one but it's also more rigid than the other ones and flex happens all over you know um then the the sway bar in the middle uh, being able to change your understeer and oversteer characteristics with that is another advantage um and then there's multiple mounting holes for your shock which basically changes your damping characteristics of your shocks and then you have the adjustability of seven inches there's one thing on it that's um they're called bearing squeezers so you can take and squeeze on your bearings and change the play for your control arms so you get zero play just right you can tune that in to it oh really yeah there's a lot of the hidden things there's a Another thing I'm working on, but probably won't be too much after this beam, is um, uh, basically dual pitman arm steering, so that you have equal length tie rods, and oh, you don't so have like to a necessarily a center, a center, a center mounted steering. Uh, it won't be center mounted; it'll be two pitman arms, and so the, you'll have two, like just like your one short tie rod arm, mm -hmm. you'll have two of those short tie rod arms and then one in between those two that uh, pushes them together. Oh, so you'll use one, one as one that drives a secondary. Yeah. One's going to be an idle pitman arm. Got it. Now that, yeah. And, and it just bolts onto the beam like anything else. 
And so you just have a joining arm in between the two. But what, so what's the advantage of changing the Pittman arm like, like, or not Pittman arm, but I mean, having equal length tie rods, what's, what is the difference in the characteristic of handling? A lot really for, because for us people that don't pay attention. Cause all I knew is when I slammed my bug, my right tie rod would wear through the bottom of the gas tank. That's what I knew back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a definitely imperfect design. When we, when we think about the, Volkswagen Beetle, you know, I, I always think of things in the in the mindset of an engineer because it's you know obviously what I do. But what were they thinking when they made this, right? And so you, when you're talking about a Porsche, you're not talking about a Volkswagen. You're talking about two different things. And so the Volkswagen, just like the rear bushings, um, for example, it's mm-hmm. you know it's an economical decision. It's not it's not a matter of is it better functioning than a bearing? No, no, we've already talked about that. But it's if you're mass producing millions of these cars you know we, we go with the cheap product because it's supposed to sell for a low low end it's the same thing with the unequal tie rods it's not better at all it's far inferior because it every your right and your left tire do not change the, their direction at the same rate and so one turns your your left tire is always going to turn different than your right tire because they're on equal length but once you put them to equal length then now you can get that geometry correct right so that and so that they're turning the way they're supposed to be in in the corner and they're they're doing it consistent with each other hmm. no that makes sense because and that's and that's one of the reasons why uh when you do when you your your front wheel angles are always a little bit different and they can't be the same because the rod lengths are different so completely so that makes sense yeah yeah exactly that's why Okay. Yeah. No. So, so you're thinking by putting a, by, by essentially putting a, uh, you know, like a passive, uh, secondary Pittman arm and getting equal length, you're going to get the same. So I wonder how much note, is it a noticeable difference in the steering characteristics of the car? Yeah. If you're, if you're, if we're talking performance now, if you're just driving to the grocery store and save your money, right. Um, you're just going around town and show car or whatever but you know if, if if anybody who cares about performance and is trying to you know get maybe a faster lap on the than, than before then those little things uh, all add up yeah no no it definitely makes a difference man and i you know and that's the toughest thing right i mean you know you have you come to the vw market with something new that you think the people that people will be really stoked to see and it's like You've you've got two people on opposite ends of the spectrum that are the loudest voices, the haters and your biggest fans. You know what I mean? And, some yeah. people, and the problem is you have to convince people to take the chance to put to put it to use to see if it's worth it or not. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, I can't tell you doing the podcast. I can't tell you how many people I talked to that said, I said, hey, you ought to check out the podcast. I don't listen to podcasts. Well, you should listen to this one. And then. I get them to listen to podcasts like, man, this is great. This is great. It's like there's something brand new that they figured out. Meanwhile, they thought they knew it all. They heard it all. And they, what do they need to hear about with VW detail or what am I going to get out of a podcast? But it's like this long form conversation that we've had really gets you to get down in the weeds on some of the stuff to where you get a little better understanding of why things are the way that they're designed. So, yeah, no, I think yeah. it's uh, I think it's, I think it's a good thing that you're doing. I mean, I can tell you from the quality of the parts that I've seen, I liked them. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't do this podcast. You've sent me no free product. So it's not like this is a plug to give you some free advertising or whatever, but it's one of these things where I've seen the product. Uh, my brother's used it a couple of times on a couple of, a, a few of his customers cars. And, uh, 
you know, when I called you up that day and I said, Hey man, I really like to do a podcast with, if you're the kind of guy you're, you've got to be a VW enthusiast. If you're going to answer the phone on a holiday weekend to help (laughs) me out with some tech stuff, I definitely appreciate that, man. So that was, uh, definitely, definitely worth it for me. Now, before we wrap it up, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to touch on, uh, in respect to, uh, what Adam works does? Um, well, you know, I've, I've, I thought about writing a book about the suspension, uh, the Volkswagen suspension, mm-hmm. and I'm still kind of debating whether, you know, people care enough. Um, but there are a lot of secrets, and I'm talking a lot of secrets that I got in my head that people don't just don't know that I, I would like to maybe get out there, you know, because the truth of it is um, they can be extremely high performance, and I'm talking up there with the best of the best you know you know competing against a arms and all all the things it's just it's just how do you how do you approach it and, and it goes back to really the engineering principles and the physics of the car and sure. so once you know those things um but that is kind of what i'll like this front beam for example is sort of a, it's a brainchild of mine to uh, basically get to the next level that to show that hey they're actually quite high performance we just need to know what the weak points are and what we're seeking out of in well, the car yeah i mean it, it, honestly i think I, I think a suspension book you know would definitely be something that would be viable because there's a lot of people that don't take that you know in our industry the vw world there's a lot of people that just like copy something somebody else did they figured out something that you know they, they see something someone else did and they think okay that's it i'll just modify it a little bit and make it mine instead of taking that design and running with it or trying to evolve it greater because if we're looking at performance you know the vw chassis in and of itself when you're talking the formula v cars those cars are on a racetrack all day long in stock vw suspension so what they did is they just made the weight of the car and the weight distribution match the factory suspension is what I think that they did with the formula V stuff. You know what I mean? And you, and with that, I think once you have to match up the suspension with the weight characteristics, that's going to make the biggest difference, you know, because one of the things that I've been noticing recently in my car is, you know, that front end is so light that you start putting really good disc brakes in the front and then you put small low profile tires especially when you put skinny ones, then you really start having brake characteristic issues. Um, and, you know, we, we over brake the crap out of these cars because big brakes look good. And yeah. the smallest brakes in the world are more than sufficient for these Volkswagens because the, big, <laughs> the bigger the brakes you go, the I think the more problems you have, you know. Um, in, in my bus, it's, it's a little different because... I sit, you know, I'm, I'm a big boy and I sit above the front suspension, you know, so I've got all that weight hanging out over the front. If my, if me and my brother in that car, you got 500 pounds over the front axle period. And, uh, and I run two, 205, uh, 205, 35, 17s on the front of my bus. So I've got plenty of contact patch. And with my brakes that I have on there, I've got the 944 turbo four piston brembos on there and uh, and and here's the craziest part and i think where sometimes we go different in vw engineering is i have a stock master stock bus master cylinder on there and it's been more than enough brakes that i've ever needed you know for that thing yeah it's brake overkill but the difference in in what you're experiencing by having all that weight over the front axle versus being in a bug 
and not that weight over the front axle is, is different in characteristics. And, and with front suspension on a Beetle, that would make all the difference if you could quickly adjust. If you could have an easily adjustable front uh, sway bar, that would change the, the handling characteristics, especially cornering. It, it changes the big difference because these cars are definitely known to understeer without question. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the tires don't grip whenever you need them to. You're trying to go into the corner. Right. So I think I think that stuff is you know there's there's a lot that doesn't know and the the saddest part is when somebody just uh, wrecks or wads up their car because they just thought like hey I'll do this you know (laughs) because as the more you and I are talking about this and in my head it's going through my head we started talking about the long torsion arms right and then everybody swaps the front beams and then they do a six inch and and some guys like i got an eight inch narrow like everybody's like it's like card sharks they used to be like lower higher lower (laughs) you're just going narrower more narrow and i got an eight inch narrow beam and i run no shocks well no duh you're running no shocks because your torsion bars have gone from you know 46 inches down to you know 30 30 32 inches and it's like now you get a stiffer bar like yeah i don't even need shocks and it rides like a cadillac well like yeah because you've just increased your torsion rate you know yeah by so and and there there are people uh, that, are, that are advising you know not to run shocks and, and i'm going to take this time to say don't ever do that it's it's not uh it's not safe and it the reason why they're there is the same reason that there's a shock on your screen door, you know, so it doesn't go slamming into it. Um, and everything, uh, it's suspension. Everything actually has a, what we call a natural frequency. Mm-hmm. It just, it just means it's as, it's as natural, uh, like a swing set, for example, uh, a child on a swing set, they're swinging at a natural frequency, uh, based on the mass of the child and, you know, the swing set, the stiffness of it. Um, same thing, but when you take your shocks off, what you're doing is you're taking off your security for that. And so um, what will happen is it might ride like a Cadillac forever, and then you go around a corner and you hit like a pothole or something, and your tires will just start skipping across the road, and you won't be prepared for it. You know, And when it skips across the road, you'll lose all your traction, crash. And, and that's what the shocks are there for, so... Keep your shocks. Find if you want to narrow your beam. Find ways to keep your shocks or put something there. That's what they're there for. Yeah, no, I mean it makes sense, and and you always go back to why the manufacturer engineered it that way. And and there's a lot of people that just skip college and all that stuff, and they just uh, they know everything. They just throw on the samba. I think you can find most of them in the forums. <laughs> yeah. yeah (laughs) they're there with torches ready to go to light up the first guy that's got something to offer but man listen i I gotta tell you charles i'm i'm thankful for what you've done i appreciate the product that you sent um that that i purchased from you it it seems to be a good quality product probably won't be the last thing i buy from you um i I appreciate it i definitely appreciate your time of coming on the podcast and kind of going long form into this and by all means man when you come up with something new or you've got something to bring to the world uh i'd be more than happy to help you bring it to the world through the podcast man because i definitely think uh you know you've got the background and you've got the sincerity and wanting to do and develop something good for the vw scene and we need more people developing good quality products for our scene well thank you yeah no no problem man and uh and we'll for sure have you back on the podcast again Okay. I'd love to be there. You got it, brother. I appreciate you. All right. If you like that podcast, make sure you go to letstalkdubs.com, pick up a shirt, 
some stickers, support your favorite podcast. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. Leave your name in the review so we can give you a shout-out on the podcast because that's what you get when you support by buying merch or leaving a review. First shout-out this week goes to L.B. Monahan, and he's out of Holden, Missouri. And uh, he says, thanks for the podcast and the guests you have. He picked up a shirt and a sticker pack. Next, I got Lucas Weldon. Lucas Weldon out of Copperas Cove, Texas. He picked up also a shirt and a sticker pack. Uh, Appreciate those guys for supporting the podcast. Lots more podcasts coming up in the near future. But if I see you this weekend out at the DKK meet, man, I see you there. Until next time, later. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have a